Well, hey, Northside family, great to see you in the beginning of the new year. I forgot to do this at the uh, 945, but let's welcome everybody into the room that's online in the centrum. Let's welcome them. To, really glad you guys are here. Good to have a time. I hope you've all had a chance to kind of recover from Christmas a little bit, reboot the new year, and as soon as you do, somebody tell the Hallmark Channel, all right? Because it's just kind of going on, going on. I thought I'd have a break. I know it'll pick up again in July, so here we go. But it's great to see everybody and great to, uh, to start off the year together. I love the, the new series that Nate's picked and, and developed, and I get to at least catch the first one here now, and that's talking, just understanding the whole idea of the ministry of reconciliation, and he calls it On, on Your Marks. Now, some of you might think, wait a second, isn't that supposed to be On Your Mark, Get Set Go, uh, but it's actually on your marks. If you speak the Queen's English, all right, the British English is on your marks, but the Cracker Barrel American version is on your mark, all right, get set, go. Uh, I had to do a little further study on that. I'm not sure exactly why they add the plural on that. Uh, perhaps it's because uh, uh, maybe in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, be ready to run the race that's marked out for you and you and you and you in different lanes. I don't know what they mean. I, I don't really, I have a little bit of English in my, my uh, background. Uh, our daughter Rachel loves at Ancestry.com. I have found out I got more Scottish in me than I ever knew, okay? But I don't look good in plaid, so that's about all we'll, we'll do with that. But so glad that we get to start this series. I love being able to take a look and see what the main thing is really that God's called us to do. If you got a Bible you're following along or if you're kind of uh, tagging along at home with us on that and want to open it up, it's at 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, we'll reflect in a moment on the first 10 verses, but that's not what it's about. Our focus is on 11 through 15. Uh, but it, it's just great to be able to have this time to, to dive in the beginning of the year together. I'm so thankful that you've chosen to make this uh, a priority here on this first weekend of the year. Uh, as we think about the imagery behind all of this and understanding on your mark, it's set, go, and, and this uh, 2 Corinthians 5 focus on us reaching the world and the reconciliation ministry God has given to us, it's really important to understand that in every race, there's a pace, there's a distance, and there's a motivation, there's a reason for all of that. So this weekend, we talk about a little bit of the direction that we're facing and the posture that we're taking. For some reason, I looked through these verses uh, that I was given to, to focus on, and I just began to see postures that came out that need to help us, uh, that we need to do to be able to get ready. Uh, you may wonder, why is it really important about a posture in a race and getting ready for that. Uh, can't we just kind of run the race? It's a long marathon anyway. Uh, you know, God will bless it and we'll just kind of get going at our own pace or anything like that. But it's so important for us to be able to be ready and set when we need to have the right direction and the, the right force and the right focus and all of that. You may think it's not that big of a deal spiritually for our perhaps posture, but it really is. Uh, a guy by the name of Bobby Harrington, we work a lot with him. He's a great fella. He uh, oversees a ministry uh, called Renew.org and, and on disciple making. And, and uh, his statistics at the end of the year is he's tried to really pull from different sources. He says what's been a little disappointing and, and, and uh, amazing to look at, he says, is in 2010, he said a, a, a rough ballpark of people who would under any circumstance kind of say, yeah, I am somewhat of a, a believer, somewhat of a Christian, was up around, hovering around 50% in America. 
That was just in 2010. In 2020, that 50% has now dropped to 25%. And you stop and think about that. Those that are just edging away from the church, edging away from God, thinking I've seen enough, I don't, you know, uh, I just don't know if I can handle that. There's too much. It's finding themselves to be passionate about something else rather than the gospel, rather than the words of life that God gave to us, rather than the message of Jesus in his death on the cross and the empty tomb, all, all of those things. It really begins to cause us to wonder, are we doing what we need to do? So our posture in this race and in this ministry and this calling and in the Northside family is really critical that we begin now this year. I heard Keith Green, a great singer, Christian uh, a speaker and, and singer back in the 80s. He was killed in a plane crash in July of 1982. I got to hear him in May up at uh, Market Square Arena, Indianapolis. I remember, uh, of course, all his music was great, but one of the things he said was he said, you know, I've had to change my thinking. He said, I don't really know. He said, but I used to think that God had this calendar on the wall and a clock ticking down until time when he's going to send his son back to the, to the earth to, to judge, to rule, and, and, you know, eternity begins. He says, I don't know if there's so much calendar or a clock. He said, I think he's got a thermometer, <laughs> And he's just looking to see how bad will I let this get. And to think about the departure of people who have an affinity towards Christianity and, and are well-meaning, but yet are backing away. It really means that we've got to take our role, our job, our calling seriously. And that's why the focus on this series for these three weeks. And that's why I want to suggest in this passage... I see four postures that God wants us to have. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, I'll be reading from the uh, Passion Translation. It's kind of a new one. They don't even have all the Old Testament done. There's just more of a New Testament one. And I'm just kind of looking at that to get a little bit different of flavor in that paraphrase or translation. Before we dive in, the first 10 verses, though, to reflect upon in 2 Corinthians 5 is just uh, a, a, an awesome portion of scripture right there. Matter of fact, there's not a funeral that I will do that I don't make a reference to 2 Corinthians 5, 8, which is a simple verse that it answers the question every believer down deep has when they come to that moment of a memorial service of a funeral of their loved one. And it's that question, where, where are they now? Really? Is there kind of a holding place? We've got to wait for a while. What, what, what all uh, is going on? And this is what Paul knew. So all throughout those 10 verses, he says, I want you to have the assurance of heaven. I want you to know absolutely the longing in our hearts is for heaven. Uh, I, I want you to know the immediacy of heaven. And in that thought of immediacy, he says in verse 8, for, uh, for us to be absent from the body, he says, is to be present with the Lord. Would you say that with me? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That is the hope of every believer. That's the assurance of every believer. We don't have to wonder. Don't have to worry. We got that one checked off, okay? So don't worry. Hold on. But that's, that's this passage that he builds up to. But in verse 10, he launches us into the passage we'll look at now. And in verse 10, 
He simply says, all of us will stand before Christ, the judgment seat of Christ to be judged, and we will receive what we deserve, the good and the bad that we've done in our earthly body. Okay, you got my attention now, all right? Anybody grow up with parents who said, I'm going to put the fear of God in you? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. My dad had all sorts of sayings like that. Probably the one he used more than that was, go in there and act like you've got some sense. Anybody ever have that one? Okay, yeah. Problem is, I've been acting ever since. I don't have any sense, but I've been acting that way. But the the putting the fear of God, that's what Paul seems to do in verse 10 before we get to our passage today. I've always found that there's always a little verse that's kind of left out. In other words, if we'd have started with that, whoa, you got my attention, but he really picks it up well in verse 11. I love in Ephesians chapter 5, because if you've ever heard a message on on, uh, marriage, you know that years ago, most preachers would start with verse 22 that says, wives, submit to your husbands. They're out of the gate with that one, you know, but they miss verse 21. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can I get a petite amen on that? All right. Even a little manly amen back in the, in, the, in the back there too as well. There's something about understanding what verse launches us into the passage. So it's this fear of God that launches us into the posture that God wants us to be able to have today. And the first posture is simply this. Number one, God's called us to begin Upward. Would you just say that word with me? Upward. It's just upward. It's not downward. It's not to the side. It's not to the back. Not backward, not forward. It's upward. It's beyond all other things. And the little phrase is we begin with a holy respect for God. I love to reduce little verses down to maybe a phrase. It actually even began with only the first half of verse 11. It'll appear on the screen. And it simply says that since we're those who stand in holy awe of the Lord. All right, after that verse 10, got the fear of God in us. All right. Since we are those who stand in holy awe of the Lord. Now, over the next few verses, Paul uses the first person plural, we, us, our, all of those phrases and and words, 13 times, 13 times, because he's trying to help them understand as we start a new year, as we start a, a reminder of our calling, as we begin getting the right posture upward towards God, that it is an us identity. We're in awe of the God of the universe. And we get a look at him and see him in all of his general revelation in creation and his specific revelation within all of the scripture. And I would ask you right now, what are you in awe of? Now, this time of year, we're amazing. Christmas was so good and we're we're through. We're amazed how we went through maybe a difficult time this year. We're just amazed we're kind of through and we're amazed that time flies and here we are at another brand new year. How many have followed sports on TV quite a bit, watched a lot of ball games? Oh yeah, yesterday was a big one there. Now you'll have to encourage Nate because he might be in mild depression. Notre Dame went down yesterday. So I had to text him, just comfort him just a little bit there. He's he's a big Notre Dame fan. I got a buddy over in, in Hannibal, Missouri who is, he's not just a Buckeye, he's a Buckhead. He is Ohio State 
all the way. And I had to text him because they're about to lose the game in the Rose Bowl. And I said, Tim, check your blood pressure. Are you doing okay? Do we need to call the paramedics? Because I knew he'd be awfully worked up about that whole thing. And they wound up winning, you know. So anyway, he said, oh, don't worry. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Found out he actually has today off. They had a big ice storm over there in the whole parking lot. The church is a skating rink. So he just skating the whole weekend away on me there. And I was worried about it. Uh, amazing to see comebacks. Amazing to see tremendous games that happen. And 20 years ago, who would have thought UK would have a football team? But they won. Yeah. Five football fans out there, okay, they won. Wasn't that awesome? That was great. That was great. I remember a, a fellow over in Lexington, Wayne Smith, great preacher. I've heard him for years. He said 20 years ago, he said, it's so tough to get people to come to a UK football game. He said, we, there aren't enough tickets for basketball. But back in the day, nobody go to a football game. He said, they started a new program. If you were caught speeding, they'd give you a ticket to the football game. And if you got two of those, they made you go, all right? So he always had a lot of fun about that. It, it is amazing to see in the sporting world, but maybe our amazement is in some different places. Maybe we look at the political landscape and we're in awe of how awe it kind of really is. I'm not sure how to finish that one. We, we ought to be impressed with all the science. Trust the science. I'm okay with the science. I just got a problem with a few of the scientists, you know, to figure that out. It's really hard to know what to be in awe of all the things around us. Let me tell you who I really am in awe of. And that would be the medical people who care for our folks in the hospital. Don't they do an amazing, amazing job? See all that they do for us. We can look and see so many things that we're amazed at or disappointed in, whatever it might be. But our spiritual posture begins with having this awe for God and looking upward. Jesus said, if anyone acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. You look in the Old Testament and you see all these great heroes. Uh, Noah, he, he and his wife and their three sons and their wives are the only people in the world, the known world then, that had any acknowledgement of God, but they would not turn away from him. And they lived righteous lives acknowledging him. So when it's time to clean house, God says, I'm keeping you. And I'll start over with you because they looked upward. Abraham kept on looking upward. Oh, he had a couple of hiccups here or there, but he kept looking up, upward and God said, because you believe me, I'm going to count that. I'm going to translate that. Uh, I'm going to exchange rate that in currency wise as righteousness because you believe me. And he says, Abraham, you are my friend. What a comment to be said about about a person. You look and you see Joseph. Joseph, he endured injustice. Uh, brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. He, he set up with a lie by his boss's wife. Uh, he even helps a guy out in prison in cell block 3C. And this guy says, hey, no matter what, if I get out of here, I'm going to remember you. And he forgot about him for three years. Didn't even think about it. But he knew the providence of God because he kept Looking upward, look at Moses, how he had to endure the wilderness 
all the time tolerating being around a bunch of yahoos who turned away from God, and yet he looked upward. You look at, at Joshua who led with strength and courage and decisiveness, and he says at the end of his life, and it's tremendous commentary on jo Joshua's life, it says that the elders who outlived him remained faithful, and the people remained faithful after he was long gone because he had looked upward. He called for a decision. He said, when my life's about done here, it doesn't matter what you do. You choose who you're going to follow. But as for me, help me out. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's it. He was verbal about that. He looked upward. Caleb. Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. David, a man after God's own heart. Okay, a couple more hiccups. But he kept returning to an upward gaze to heaven in repentance and grief and tears, always coming back to the heart of God. You see, it's this upward position. Now, sometimes our posture, well, let's just be honest. I struggle a little bit with posture, all right? I don't always stand up really straight. How many have ever been told to straighten up a little bit on several levels, okay? That's, that's good, me too. I need to do a little bit of that. I, I have to be a little careful. I've had, uh, my knees are okay. Thankful for that. Both hips already had them done. This shoulder is great. This one, well, it's about right there, okay? So I praise God right-handedly, but I receive from, from him with my left hand, okay? <laughs> and we'll, we'll see how that goes over a period of time. But there, there's something about it. even uh, Even a doctor not too long ago at, at the doctor's office, the dreaded scales, of course, but now they want to know how tall I am. I'm six, two and a half. No, you're not. You're kidding me. When did that happen? I'm down about six, one and a half. And now as I renew my driver's license, you know, probably this next year, I have a big dilemma. Do I tell them the truth? And if you're like me, <laughs> why start now? You know, <laughs> you think I'm going to tell them my hair isn't black? It ain't, but I'm probably going to tell them that. And maybe a couple of holiday pounds over two and a quarter. Yeah, absolutely. Man, whatever it said last time, I'm sure is fine. You know? the, the reality when it comes to posture, I've never been one who flexed. I've been one who sucked it in all my life. You know, there's something about posture that is so important. And you and I can't get out of the gate spiritually unless we're gazing upward intently, looking to God for direction and strength. Now, th there's something to be able to, to, to understand perhaps what goes beyond that. I love the expression of those like Isaiah who looked and he saw who God was. Chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah. And he looks and he sees his unholiness because he sees God's holiness. And he says, woe unto me, in the King James language, he says, I am a man undone. If you translate the word undone, it means disintegrated. Long before the 60s, he says, I am blown away when I am looking upward to you, God, when I see who you are. Remember that Brooks and Dunn song a few years back? I raised my hand. I bow my head. I'm finding more and more truth in the words written in red. It's a great song. That's what happens when we begin to look upward to God, the posture of our heart. Now, once our posture is upward, then it becomes outward. This passionate persuasion of other people. 
You see, this calling of a ministry of reconciliation, it begins with our posture in this race of our calling upward, but then it has to move outward because we begin to see all that God has done. And and it moves from, from where we are seeing him to this outward position. Now, let me pull out my phone. It's a longer passage, so rather than write it out too much, I'm pretty much a pretty big font these days, okay, so I can see what's going on. And let me see if I can catch this one. It'll appear on the screen. But here's what it says in verses, last half of 11 through verse 13. Paul says, we make it our passion, all right? There's a choice here. He says, we choose to make this our passion, to persuade others, not manipulate, not coerce, not hoodwink, not fool, to persuade others to turn to him. We know that our lives are transparent before the God who knows us fully, and I hope we're also well known to your conscience. He says, in other words, our appeal, we're out front as much as we can be. They were always under attack. Paul was always under attack for one thing or another. Again, he says, we're we're not taking an opportunity to brag, but giving you information that will enable you to be proud of us. You can trust us. And to answer those who esteem outer appearances while overlooking what is in the heart. He says, if we're out of our minds, it's in a blissful divine ecstasy, it's for God. In other words, he says, if we're so excited about this new life that we have and sharing with you, he said that we can't control ourselves, please understand, it's, we're just kind of crazy about God. He says, but if we're in our right minds, if we sober up, if we get real practical, real, real realistic with you and what you need to do next, it's for your benefit. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. Paul was under attack because in his being an apostle, a lot of people doubted him. And they said, I don't know if you really saw a bright light or not. It might have been something else. You might have just got hit in the head. Other people who said, oh, that was awesome. When has the, the Lord done anything else for you? Well, that was the only time. Well, why didn't he do something else? So, you know, he got attacked from everybody doubting his being an apostle. But he says, make sure... Our outward sense of sharing the message is a choice that we make. It's a passionate willingness to to decide to persuade other people to come to repentance. That's what happens when they turn to Jesus. When you and I turn to him, it can't be, well, let's add him to our resume. Hey, that's going to help me out a lot. I'm going to meet some kind of cool people. Oh, it's probably going to help our kids too. When we turn to him, it's in repentance It's in sorrow. It's in grief for our sin. It's in that depth of a realization. It's in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to conform to a few rules. It's a surrendered heart. It's not in hopes of a better life and this and that. You see, Paul understood, and we need to know too, that in Christ, every question can be answered, every broken heart can be mended, every sin can be forgiven. And that's why he's that open with them and says, this is our heart, and you're going to hear a lot of people who have accusations against us, but he said, I want you to know this is the whole gospel. We move from upwards to outwards. Our upward posture towards God is kind of passive. It's like baptism. We present ourselves to him and we let him do the talking. But then when we start to do the talking, representing him, that's when we move in that next posture to reaching out to people. Uh, Through the years, I've had a lot of conversations with people. I've loved 
all of them, some more than others, but I've loved all of them. To be able to talk with people about where they are with the Lord and what they need to think about and, and what I might tell them, what I might learn from them. I've always found, though, when we are in this passionate persuasion to help people turn to him, we're doing two things. We're planting seeds and we're pulling weeds. <laughs> We're planting the truth of God's word just a little bit at a time where they can almost accept that and think about that and begin to dialogue about that. And sometimes we got to say, oh, you got to be careful over there and tug that away. Oh, we're kind of probably going to have to turn away from that. That's not going to help a lot. So it becomes this cultivating kind of moment of where we allow our hearts to grow closer to his. All through all of those conversations, I've found that I have to make sure that I'm I'm upward or I won't be outward. And I think my question would be as we begin this new year, is your upward strong enough and adequate enough that it has moved your heart to become outward? Because if you just think, I can't talk to them, I don't know if I, I don't know what I do. Just need a little more upward time. A little more time that God works through his word, through his spirit, through his people. And understanding they matter to him, so they matter to us and to move us outwardly. I, I think sometimes you, you look in the Bible and you see times where people just took off. They didn't know what they were doing. In, in the book of Acts, there's this story about the sons of Sceva. And there's some guys that they just thought, hey, this is cool. Hey, look at those apostles. They're casting out some demons. Man, that'll gather a crowd. That'll bring a few gals to come visit us. I don't know what their motive was, but they just thought, hey, let's say the one, two, three, what, what those guys are saying. And they try to cast out a few demons and the demons perk up and they say, wait a minute. <laughs> the demons really literally talk back to them and they said, Jesus, we know. <laughs> Paul, we know, but who the heck are you? And they chased him off and beat him to a pulp, you know? It, it, when, when we decide to say, okay, I haven't spent enough time looking to God, but I'm going to go do this. I'm going to tell some people what happens is we turn uh, into condescending folks who are impatient saying, what's wrong with you? And we wind up shaming people. At least most of my childhood, that's what I heard a lot of Sunday mornings. Anybody with me on that? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that kind of happened quite a bit. I felt like a Grady Nutt, the guy off Hee Haw years ago. He said, our church had so much hellfire and damnation. He said, I felt like a weenie roasting over hell half the time, you know. <laughs> when, when we feel that just judgment, just judgment, what's the matter with you? It's probably because, or if we find ourselves saying that, there hadn't been enough time in the upward posture before the outward begins. I, I have loved the four years that I've had in this transition uh, with Nate being the lead pastor. It was four years ago last, last weekend. And what it has done is it's allowed me to have not the pressure of every weekend, but it's allowed me honestly to, uh, I've done more weddings and funerals these four years than I did the first 18. <laughs> it's because I, I, don't, I don't have to prep for every weekend, every weekend, every weekend. I could be among the people a little bit more. Now, the downside is I can't go hide at Puerto Vallarta for a few hours, you know. Uh, but but uh, uh, on the other hand, it has allowed me to have more conversations. There's something about having conversations with folks in those meaningful times where you can begin to say something that needs to be said. And you think, God, what, what would you have me be able to communicate right now with folks? 
Maybe it's sometimes when you're talking with people a little bit more than you got to before, then you get to have those conversations like if they understand a lot about God, but they're just having, they're not quite ready to sign off, you just need to help that move 18 inches. They say the difference between heaven and hell is 18 inches. You may get it up here, but if you never get it up down here, you miss out. It's planting seeds. It's pulling weeds in the hearts and lives of other people and letting them know how much they matter to God in hopes that he will matter to them. There's something about being able to let other folks know that is a great, great privilege. I've had folks many times say, well, if they have a close call or something, I don't know why I'm still here. I guess the Lord has something left for me to do. Yeah. (laughs) What we're talking about these three weeks, that's exactly what he wants you and I to be doing. Passionately persuading others to turn to him. We catch them, he cleans them. And he says, it takes a while to trickle on on that, okay? (laughs) He says, if we're willing to do that, He will bless every conversation. Now, the third posture is an inward posture. And in this inward posture, we need to understand that we are to be forever fueled by the love of Christ. The moment that we understand that that we're never alone, he's always going to be with us, but we have to turn back to him. We can't just keep going outward, 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 and a little more outward. And hey, let me book another outward. And what happens is we we run out of gas because we have not taken to return to the upward and to refuel and be inward and let him do something in our hearts and in our lives. There's a great musician named Kenny G. Soprano sax, uh, 80s, 90s, he's still around. Wild, crazy hair, phenomenal musician. He has mastered a thing instrumentally called circular breathing. It's really tough. I can't do it. I had a great band teacher tried to teach me. I was doing good at the trumpet just to get a little double or triple tonguing, you know, all that kind of stuff. But he said, try this circular breathing. It's where you blow out and can breathe in at the same time. Very, very few can begin to do that. But Kenny G is one who can. So you listen to him and you think, when did he, when did he quit? Uh, he's still playing. He's still playing. He's still holding that note. And it's because of circular breathing. Now, sometimes spiritually, we think we can do this circular serving and circular sharing and going outward and outward. And we have to be careful that we don't wear ourselves out. We have to refuel. That's why in verse 14, it says, Christ's love fuels us and our passion and holds us tightly because we're convinced he's given his life for us all. Now, don't jump over that. Are you convinced he gave his life for all? Or do you kind of think he just gave his life for us, for you, me and a few others? Or for all. Because his love for all is what is to fuel us. The love of Christ. That's why we have a moment of communion. Remembering the body and the blood 
of Jesus. We examine our heart and our life. I appreciate Neil Wyndham so much. He's been a friend for a long time. 15 years ago, we had him here just for a weekend to be able to encourage our small group leaders. I'll never forget what he said. He said, you guys have got to understand how important it is to just engage in the world. We know about that. You're, we're work. We're among the world. We're all that. He said, but you've got to disengage. And he said, it's just not a vacation. It's just not a day off. It's a disengaging so you can engage with God. And then, and only then, will you be ready and able to re-engage. I said, let me get this. Disengage, engage. Now I can re-engage. That's what Paul's saying. He says, the love of Christ prompts our heart. He is the source of our strength. Tremendous controversy on where the nutrition really ought to be in your macros is, do you want to major in carbs or in protein or in, or in fat? All depends what uh, kind of diet you're listening to at the time. Sometimes we get spiritually confused. Is worship really the main thing? Oh no, study is the main thing. You got to know that. Oh, come on, get off your, your behind and go serve and go do something. That's the main thing. Oh no, fellowship is the main thing where we feel God's presence in our relationships. And it really is, yes, all of the above. But if we pull one of those things out and say, worship isn't that big a deal, we're going to miss a lot of the upward. If we say, you know, I don't need to really study. I know enough already. Who doesn't know, the ba who doesn't know five out of the ten of the Ten Commandments, you know? Well, you, you, we've got to continue to grow in learning. Serving is a part. But if I'm all just about serving, the next thing you know, I'm going to be pretty proud of what I've done. And if I'm all about just fellowship with just us, then I'm going to become very exclusive. And you see, it's all of those things. The refueling that God has through his word, through his spirit, through his people, through times together like this is just absolutely so important. He saves us. He wants to transform us. He wants us to join in his mission, but we have to keep our tank full. So let me ask, what perhaps emptied your tank this year? What was something that you, you know full well? This was when I depleted. And maybe you have bounced back and maybe you've, you've grown and you're stronger now and maybe God's done a great work in you and you've recovered and you're renewed and you're refueled and all of those things. But perhaps you could say, I know exactly when the carpet was pulled out from under me. I know exactly when that happened. And I want to ask you to let God refuel you today. But it begins with these postures. Now, the final posture, and don't you love it when a preacher says, finally, yeah, you know what it means. Nothing at all. It doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> it, it means we're trying. We're trying to land the plane. But the last posture, if you can kind of work with me on that, to, to grasp the upward, to passionately pursue and move into the outward, to, to not think that we, we, we have enough strength and can manufacture it on our own, but to refuel and let God rekindle our hearts. And now to move onward, not backward, not just a little forward, onward, beyond ourselves. Lives beyond being self 
absorbed. You see, the temptation is always to look back and try to resolve some things that we left unresolved, try to untangle a few things that we left tangled. And we wind up looking back, looking back, looking back, rather than letting God take us and move us onward. See, he's going to resolve those things. He's going to untangle those things that we couldn't get to this past year in his time, in his power, and in his way. It's easy for us to focus on ourselves. easy for us to focus on our strengths or our weaknesses our abilities or our inabilities. Listen to what Paul says in verse 15 as this passage winds down. He says, this means that all died with him. All right, remember, he died for us all, but all of us now have died with him. So those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us now lives again. But you know what? We won't pour out our lives if we don't allow him to fill our lives up. We won't be able to pour out our lives if we say, I don't know, I better hold on to a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and I'm going to guard myself. I'm going to just keep it kind of incremental here. Step by step is good. Baby steps are good. But every once in a while, God Wants us if we're going to get beyond ourselves, uh, and and I have to confess to you many times I have said in my own critical quietness, I kind of wish they'd just get over themselves. Anybody ever say that? <laughs> okay, how many can I acknowledge? We think it a lot more than we say it. All right, we think it. Every time I have thought it or said it, I have gently heard the voice of God while I'm saying they need to get over themselves. You know what He says to me? You too. Turn to your neighbor and say, you too. Turn back and say, well, right back at you. <laughs> See, all, we're all in that. We're all in that. And Paul says we got to somehow get over ourselves. He's talking to these Corinthian pagans who are coming out of all sorts of evil, uh, sexual, lustful, ungodly culture. That was their norm. And they're having trouble letting go of a lot of stuff. For, for them to think about anybody except themselves was foreign. And it was going to take some time. And that's why he says, not only did he die for all, but all of us have died to ourselves with him. He says, follow me. He says, come and see. And then he says, die with me. And I'll raise you to a brand new life. Can we begin this posture that takes us upward, moves us outward, brings us back inwardly to be fueled by the love of Christ, and then helps us get beyond ourselves, doing what he's called us to do? Can we? Sure. Should we? Absolutely. Will we? It's up to us. But we get a start together this weekend. We get a start with this series of reminding us why the Lord has left us here for some reason. It's so that more people might make it to heaven. He wants us to go. He just doesn't want us to go alone. So you and I this weekend can either strike a pose or we can take on a posture. May we do it together for his glory. Amen.
all year long. Love you guys, Northside. Have a great weekend. We'll see you.